I swear by the Almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. The court accepts the existence of God every time a witness swears to tell the truth. I think it's time that they start believing in the devil. And welcome to The Haunting Hour. My name is Ryan Brown, your co-host here at The Haunting Hour. And joined as always, alongside my brother Tyler. Ty, what's going on? Dude, I have never missed Halloween and the Halloween weather so much in my entire life. What I would give for a nice 60 degree day. Actually, I'm going to lower that. 50 degree day with a nice northwesterly breeze coming in with all the autumn leaves peeling off the street. Because it is over, like heat index, it's over 101 right now. We are in an official heat wave. It's been four and a half days of almost over 90 degree temperatures. And I fucking hate it. I haven't stopped sweating since like Wednesday of last week. And I've been in cutoffs. I've been in short shorts. Ooh, things that no one wants to see. Disgusting. And your uh, white ass shoes that are like highlighters. <laughs> Let me tell you right now, if we took a poll, I would say over 60% of our followers would say those shoes are hot. Kind of like the carpool that we did and i smoked your ass uh, we're putting that up tomorrow everybody be looking out for that one um hopefully this episode gets out to you guys tomorrow but we'll see as long as my calves are in the picture we're getting over i'm getting over 60 percent of the likes johnny drama but yeah no it was way too freaking hot out i was re-listening to one of our episodes it was last year and i think it was it was one of them we recorded at john's house and it was uh we started off the episode and i'm like it is a blazing hot june day this is exactly what's happening history is repeating itself right here Hey, I have a quick question for you. Do you have a favorite episode that we have done? I know this is kind of off topic. Didn't we go over this? We went over episodes we hated. No, and then I think we did our favorite ones in the, our 117th anniversary. And we talked about it? Yeah, because I think mine was Jack the Ripper and... Jack the Ripper? Because you picked the Dark Mirror. I remember that. Okay, so the reason I'm bringing it up is because I re-listened to our first After Hours episode uh, yesterday afternoon. Oh, really? And I was in stitches was it, it the one where we like if somebody came to your house they would like a murderer would come to your house or a horror villain so this was you picked five horror villains and we'd had to rank them from scariest or who we'd rather fight to, right. to the one that we would just like we would not be able to fight at all right and it was like Voorhees, leatherface pennywise right yep green or uh, ghostface and freddy oh my god i gotta re-listen to that dude i was it was so fucking funny but if if I don't remember us doing on our 117th um, favorite episodes, but I'm substituting that in to my favorites. I'm going to have to re-listen to that one. So, you know, some of our after hours, man, we just we just wing it and we, we come up with a little bit of gold. And it was our first one. Yeah, that's Props to us. <laughs> Keeping that one on there. I'm not deleting that one. So the big news for tonight, we got our merchandise. It came in today. And Ty, you want to take it away? How nice are the teas? So Ryan and I went back and forth. And we were saying, you know, what kind of a blend do we want for t-shirts? Do we want to get cheaper shirts? Because these are our first official, like, merchandise that we're going to do for the haunting hour. So we didn't want to order, like, $2,000 worth of t-shirts and 
not sell any of it. Right. I fought you. I said I wanted the cheaper ones. Yes. And then I said, no, let's get a, like a sick blend and then we can upcharge, which we're not going to do. Right. But the blend itself, outstanding. It's very stretchy, very, uh, very breathable for the summertime. Yeah. It's not the really scratchy cotton, 100% cotton, which I fucking hate anyway. Right. Um, it's like a 30, 30, 30 blend and it is out of bounds. Yeah. For all our dudes out there who are listening, it hugs the arms tight. So you're going to be looking huge. We can't supply the muscle, but we can supply, um, a little bit of motivation. If you guys ever need a little motivation for the gym and also well-fitting t-shirts. Yeah. For the people who like to wear cutoffs, I like to say, we provide the sleeves, you provide the scissors and you got an instant cutoff and you're going to be looking good. Um, may I also substitute the crop top. You can do the same exact thing. Ladies just cut it right across. And I was thinking about it and I remember, I think Taylor told me, she was like, I need you to do this. Um, cause I don't want to cut your logo in half, but the t-shirts came out in a way I didn't even freaking plan this when I designed them. The logo for the back is higher up a little bit. It's still huge, but any lady can turn it into a crop top and it will look perfect. And if I see somebody at the bar one time and I don't know who they are and they're wearing one of our t-shirts, I'm stopping the podcast. We've made it. We're done. That'll be our last episode. Let me tell you right now, I am huge into the under boobs. Ooh. Like that's my new thing. (laughs) That's a new one. <laughs> I've never heard that one before. <laughs> and can we also say that the actual t-shirts themselves, we just talked about the blend, um, the graphics. So we have a sickle on the front and then our actual logo on the back. They're black and the logos are white themselves. But literally it came out a thousand times better than I was expecting. I was ready to see that sickle look like uh, the handle to be like pencil thin, but it's thick. It looks good, you know? It's uh, it's literally a t-shirt that you could see on like Blackcraft Cult website or Minor Misfortune or something like one of those darker graphic t-shirt companies. Yeah, 100%. I'm proud of it. I can I tell too. you that right now. I am too. And we're also getting koozies in tomorrow. Yeah. So life is good. Life is good. Um, Ty, what are you drinking tonight? What do you got? I have a new drink tonight and, mm. and you know me. Like You know I hate Sam Adams. Yeah. hate I'm, it. I'm not a big fan either. But this is the seasonal lawn chair lager, Sam Adams. And it says it's refreshing and bright. And guess what? It is refreshing and bright. Are you sure it's not the lawn mower man, Sam Adams? Shout out Stephen King. This is exactly what, I can't remember the guy's name who called in the lawn mower man. He was like having a beer before he showed up. <laughs> this is the exact same drink that he was drinking <laughs> when that guy showed up I can tell and you right. uh, killed him. Yeah, I'll tell you right now, if nobody's uh, read that story, Night Shift, correct me if I'm wrong. Yes. Go pick up a copy of Night Shift make that the first read you will not be disappointed oh then gray matter i was just gonna say you know what's <laughs> weird is like that's that one uh, the lawnmower man is like top five best there's still four of four short stories in that compilation better than that yep jerusalem's lot graveyard shift gray matter gray matter the boogeyman but okay ty you ready we're going to uh we're gonna get a little sticky on this one you ready because we're uh it, it, I don't even know where I was going with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm absolutely not ready to get sticky. Can we just not? We, I'm a dry guy. What is <laughs> You're a dry guy, bro? Oh. oh. I was thinking of the episode of Supernatural 2 when he's like, uh, when Dean talks about sex and then he's in front of the room with all the born again virgins. He's like, yeah, the whole thing was just a little too uh, too sticky. And they're all like, what the hell? <laughs> I was thinking about the workaholics where they're all like cranking down in... <laughs> And Andres is Volvo with like the sheets up and Adam's like, yeah, uh, you know, when I crank down, I just like, it's like I'm punching myself in the balls because my dick's so big or something. 
And he's like, oh, God, your section's so cool, dude. You can lay, like, uh, Blake's in the back. You can lay down, and then he's Anders, like... So you can grab on the steering, the steering wheel. wheel. <laughs> um, but okay, I'm going to rephrase that. You ready to uh, dive down the rabbit hole and get your fluffy white tail dirty? Absolutely. Bring it on. What do we got? So we're back, baby. We're back, once again, talking about renowned demonologists and paranormal investigators, Ed and Lorraine Warren. I have a quick question yep. before we get into this. Who do you think is a better investigator, Zach Bagans or the Warrens? I would pay if they did like Zach Bagans versus the Warrens or the GAC with Nick Groff um, versus the Warrens and they both had to go into a house and whoever got the best evidence in like a full lockdown weekend, I would pay upwards of like $700 for that pay-per-view. Dude, my bank account would be empty. That would be the coolest thing I've ever seen. I'm going to go with... I might get shunned for this. I'm going to go with the GAC. I know Lorraine's got the gift, but I think they do a good job investigating. It's hard to compare those two, too, because they're literally generations apart. So there's like 40 years of equipment progression. Exactly. That's why I think Lorraine relied so much on her psychic abilities or um, empathic abilities. Because she had to. Right, exactly. She didn't have all the equipment that the GAC has. But man, that would be exciting to watch. But okay, yeah, we're back talking about Ed and Lorraine Warren. And this time, guys, we're heading to... Fairfield County, Connecticut. Um, and we're going to be talking all about, you guys might have heard this movie. It came out this weekend and it's called The Conjuring. The devil made me do it. And so we're going to be talking all about the true story of Arnie Johnson and what happened to him and the court case where he pleaded not guilty due to demonic possession. Now, Fairfield County. Ty, what do you know about Fairfield County? You got any, uh, you got any stories of Fairfield County? Because I got a couple that could chill the spines of all of our f***ing listeners. Ryan, I know it's south of here, and that's about it. Oh, well, Ty, me and you have frequented Fairfield County once, uh, I don't want to say once in a blue moon, but very often when we went to all the emo nights. Every single one of them was in Fairfield County, pretty much. How far north does Fairfield County go? It goes all the way up to Southington. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I think it might actually might be one town south of Southington, but it's that whole area, and then it covers all the way down to New York City. Is New is New Haven a uh, part of Fairfield County? Oh, indeed it is. Okay, I take back what I said. I thought Fairfield County was like the <laughs> southernmost tip of Connecticut. I have some horror stories from Fairfield County. Yeah, so um, I had to move away from there. Actually, me too. When I when I was <laughs> I was in Monroe for two years, and I was like, well, it's time to leave. Um, yeah, me and Tyler have. I'm not even going to get into it. God, that place should be carpet bombed. <laughs> oh, man. Once a frequent night at the bar, as it were, with uh, some hot blondes and mm, some really, really awful chicks. Yeah. Jesus. I did some dirty things. Remember Geronimo's where I just, oh. I got possessed and I... Fuck back into your margarita <laughs> across the room. Oh. And that dude was like, uh, remember that guy? Because it was the meme. A meme came out of SpongeBob backed up against the wall and the guy in um, Rock Bottom with the... The balloon. The red light on his head and the balloon. Yeah. It was like SpongeBob was backed up scared. And the meme was like, anytime you're walking through New Haven and some random homeless guy comes up to you and some random dude who was like practicing hoodoo came up to like me, you and Brit at the table. And it was the same exact <laughs> meme. And I was like, wow, this place is something else. Uh, New ha- I, Like, I don't even, it's, it's so fun until you walk outside. Like it's so, the bars and the restaurants are so sweet. Yep. And then you walk outside and it's like, I need to. I need to run to my car. I have to Uber to my car. Yep. It's so sketchy. Remember the time there was that shooting in the street and we were going to like the yeah. parking garage or whatever. we had to go was? into the parking garage yep. to take shelter. And I was like, this is... What a night. What a night. That was a Thursday. <laughs> but yeah, so we are heading to Fairfield County, Connecticut. 
So, really, really interesting fact about Fairfield County, if uh, nobody knows where it is, it's pretty much the southwestern section of Connecticut, and it spans all the way, like, I'm going to go a little south of Hartford, um, it cuts off there, and then it goes all the way down to New York City area, um, it's that whole section of Connecticut. You want to know another fun fact about Fairfield County? Oh my god, I just want to get to the scary, what is it? <laughs> That's where I got my first Hummer. <laughs> <laughs> Why do I believe that? Ooh. Ooh. 2019. <laughs> Never been the same. <laughs> okay, so anyways, um, some fun facts about Fairfield County. This, what we've talked about before many a time, this is where the Warren's Occult Museum is located. It's located in Monroe, Connecticut. That's where I lived for two years, so their museum was actually right down the road for me. Annabelle was literally right down the road for me. Scary stuff to think about. But Brookfield, Connecticut, where this story took place with Arnie Johnson, is about 30 minutes to the northwest of Monroe, still in Fairfield County. And this is also in the county where a haunting in Connecticut happened. The story where the family moved into a house that was recently renovated and they found out, or the son used to have hallucinations when he was sleeping and really bad stuff used to happen to him. And they found out that it used to be a mortuary and crematorium in the basement. And that's where the kid used to sleep. And Lorraine Warren did that one as well. I I had no idea about that. Um, But that's located in Southington, Connecticut. And that's about 35 minutes to the northeast. So if you go to the northwest, that's where Brookfield was, where the devil made me do a story is. And if you went to the northeast, that's where um, the haunting in Connecticut happened. Then if you travel about 20 minutes south of Monroe, this is where Union Cemetery is located. And to this day, it's known as the most haunted place in the state of Connecticut. And it's a um, ghost of a white lady who haunts the ground. And she's one of the most frequently spotted apparitions in all of the state. She hitchhikes outside of the graveyard. She walks across the road and people see her walking in between the graves. Like, and there's multiple sightings a year, which is nuts to think about. This is like the Bermuda Triangle of Connecticut. If you're looking to go have a good time at like emo night and go hit some bars, it's fantastic. If you're also looking to go on a haunted tour, it is also fantastic. Yeah, so anybody who's traveling through Connecticut, I'd say look up some spots because there's also a bunch of them. You can go to like the New Haven Lighthouse is super haunted. Um, there's a couple farms. There's a couple opera houses in the area still. Um, so it's just crawling with paranormal activity. Remember that cemetery in New Haven where that woman got buried alive? Yep, that was the Midnight Mary. She got buried alive because that's episode three if you guys want to go listen to that awful audio quality. But please don't. Yep. Please don't. She got buried alive. Um, she was one of like the first people who ever got buried alive in that cemetery and her grave's still there. So this is how we're going to open up the story tonight. It's August 1980. We begin in Brookfield, Connecticut, where 12-year-old boy David Glatzel, he began experiencing frightening hallucinations in his home. David regularly saw a man with big black eyes, a thin face with animal features, and jagged teeth. He had pointed ears, horns, and hooves for feet. This led up to him saying that the creature would frequently come to his bedside wake him up in the middle of the night and whisper in his ear, beware. So this boy's condition ended up worsening over the course of a couple of months um, in 1980 in in August. And it was almost improbable for a 12-year-old boy to quote passages from Paradise Lost. And he frequently spoke about death and stabbing other people as a way of killing them. So this whole family consisted of David Glatzel, the 12-year-old boy, his brother, Carl Glatzel, which, if anybody's seen the film already, they leave him out of the film. They say it's only David Glatzel's little boy and his older sister, Debbie Glatzel. So that's pretty much the family, and then they, they have a mother and a father. But also, he lives with them. His name's 
Arnie Cheyenne Johnson, and he's the boyfriend of Debbie Glatzel. And this is the one that the whole movie and this whole story bases upon. So when David Glatzel began to get worse around September of 1980, the family ended up contacting local demonologists, Ed and Lorraine Warren, for help. Also, so many people contacted them. Do you think they had a hotline back in the day or something? I have no idea how they got in contact. I know that they, they did because this was way later on in their career. Exactly. Yeah. Right? They, when was Enfield? 70s. Yeah. Okay. Like 75. Mm-hmm. But but they started to do um, seminars. Oh, right. No, remember in Conjuring 1, that's where the lady finds them. Yes. And they did one, I think, there's the school right in Fairfield, a big college. Oh, yeah. Uh, isn't Western Connecticut State University in Fairfield? Yeah. I have no idea what, what it's called, but yep. I'm, I'm guessing that they did one there. But okay. So when David Glatzel began to worsen, um, they enlisted help from Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, so with the help of the Catholic Church, Ed and Lorraine had priests come to the house with them. And they determined that this boy, David Glassell, was in fact possessed by a demon. And not just one demon. They came up, and they don't touch upon this in the movie. They say it's just one demon in the movie. In real life, they said that he was possessed by up to 42 different demons inside one body. And no spoilers for the movie, because I know everybody's going to really want to see it. But, man, the exorcism scene with this kid right in the beginning of the movie is up there with, like, the exorcist. He contorts his body in ways I was like, wow. And remember when Ed's dragging him, one spoiler, dragging him down the stairs, and, like, his hands aren't touching the wall, but scratch marks are coming. I was like, whoa, boy, that is spooky. Yeah, that movie, you go in, like, within five minutes, it punches you in the face. And we'll we'll, we'll touch upon our thoughts on the movie at the end. Um, so, yeah, they, they had help from different priests that came. They had up to six priests come to the house and con- conduct multiple exorcisms on this boy. And they said that there was up to 42 demons inside the boy's body. So various exorcisms took place from the months of August to November in 1980, and they were both minor and major exorcisms that were conducted on the boy. So during the time of one exorcism towards the end, Debbie Glatzel's boyfriend, Arnie Johnson, pleaded with the demonic spirits to come into me. I'll fight you myself. Come into me. This is the exact quote coming from Lorraine Warren because she was present at the last exorcism that happened. So the exorcisms concluded somewhere in between late October and November where they believed that the demon or the demons was cleansed from David. Now we fast forward four months into February and both Ed and Lorraine Warren both said that they were not completely sure where the demon went or what happened to it. And I don't think they connected those dots probably until later on. They're like, oh boy, we fucked. Up. <laughs> um, but okay, we're going to go on a little bit of spiel here, so buckle up. On February 16th, 1981, so about four months later, Arnie Johnson calls in sick to his job at the Wright Tree Service, and he joins his girlfriend at the time, Debbie, at the kennel. Also, this is where they both lived. Um, they lived at a kennel that was a huge house. They ran a kennel in the basement, and that's what Debbie did for a job. Also present that day was Debbie's nine-year-old cousin, Mary, and Arnie's sister, Wanda. So, I can't remember what this guy's first name is, but um, they left it out of the film in respect to him because he ends up dying. But um, his name's Bono, and the cu- he, he was the couple's landlord, so he ran the whole house where the kennel was taking place and where the things were happening there. Um, so he brought the entire group of people that I just mentioned out to lunch at a local bar, and he proceeded to drink pretty heavy that day. So after lunch, the group returns to the kennel and hang out there for a while. He has a couple more drinks, 
And then Debbie then takes Mary and Arnie's sister out to grab pizza for the night. And then they return home. Um, When they returned, Bono was very intoxicated at this point and became agitated. Everyone wanted to leave the room, but then Bono ends up grabbing Debbie and holding her and won't let go of her. She tries pushing him away at that time, and he will not let go of her. Johnson ends up coming into the room, ends up fighting Bono himself. Debbie stays there and tries pushing them both away. Once she pushes Johnson, Arnie Johnson, back as hard as she can, he stops, looks to the ground, tilts his head up, and then begins growling like an animal. He takes out a five-inch pocket knife and ends up stabbing Bono repeatedly. Bono dies several hours later. In the movie, they say that Arnie Johnson ends up stabbing him 22 times. In real life, the lawyers and the um, forensics said that it was four or five tremendous wounds in the upper chest area, and one that stretched from his stomach all the way to the base of his heart. Arnie Johnson was discovered two miles down the road from the site of the killing and held at Bridgeport Correctional Center on bail for $125,000. This was the first unlawful killing in the history of Brookfield, Connecticut. Holy sh! They do a good job in the movie. No spoilers. They do a decent job. Yes, I agree with that completely now that I know what the story actually is. So, now I gotta ask you. It would piss me off if somebody was getting super drunk and then they just grabbed my girlfriend and wouldn't let go of her. I don't know if that is enough. I know if they're super drunk, it's whatever. But that's not enough for me to get that pissed off. I'm going to stab the guy four or five times. Yes, but I was thinking this. Can that initiate a dormant demon in you? Can you being that upset at your significant other being held, can that just set that off? Right. And That I be- possession. And I believe in my research today, I read a quote from Ed. He might have said this in the movie too. But he said, I know you're not possessed now, but you were possessed at one time. So does the if you get possessed by a demonic spirit, now you don't believe in them, can that spirit frequently leave your body making you feel okay? But then if you trigger something in your brain or if that demon wants to come back into you, it can always have the ability to do it because it's already been in your body. That's hard for me to get behind. What I believe is that it's always possessing you. But maybe it's just resting or something. Right. And it's just not, you're not feeling negative all the time. Right. But there are possessions where you do feel negative all the time. Yeah. Look at the, um, the woman from the Harrisville farmhouse and the, well, what they said happened in the movie. Um, the mom. Right. Because that's how, I mean, she was, she was just depressed the entire time that that spirit was like around her. Debbie Glassell frequently said that she used to hear Arnie snarling and growling like an animal in his sleep after the time that David Glassell was the exorcism at. And so it was in those four months before he committed this murder. She heard him frequently snarling and growling in his sleep. But yeah, that makes me think, I don't know, maybe once you hit that, like that trigger in your brain, you get super mad. Maybe the demon's just like, okay, I'm up. Here we go. I'm taking over your body. Right. Um, I think you said this in the sleep paralysis episode where when you're sleeping, you are, or even between falling asleep and waking up, you are so open to everything. And that's probably why his girlfriend heard him snarling and whatever in his sleep because he was just more open to it. Thinking about that, that's so scary. Like, you feel fine, but if you get set off in the wrong way, that demon is just taking over and you don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, it's like the shades in your brain just go down and you don't even know what's going on. Yep. Arnie Johnson said after he was brought to jail, he doesn't remember a thing after lunch. 
He said the only thing he remembered was going out to lunch, and then he woke up walking down the street where the cops found him. Let me tell you right now, I've done that about 29 times <laughs> <laughs> from the bars uh, locally. Might have killed a man. I don't know at this point. But yeah, so they they build it up a little bit in the film. They say that he stabbed the man 22 times at the kennel, but it wasn't that much. But he did take that knife. He sliced him all the way up the chest, almost to the base of his heart. So that's weird in itself. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, if you think about killing someone, if there's intent, it's it's going to be more than like one wound. If yeah. it's just like a reaction and you stab someone and then all of a sudden you're like, holy fuck, what did I just do? But there's multiple stab wounds and some of them are so significant that this guy you could tell was pissed off. Right. And that makes me think, so he was pissed off. I think it would be like the five stabs. So you'd st- stab him five times and the guy would probably bleed out and die. And this last one that all the way up the chest, almost to the base of his heart, that seems like something after the fact like he thought about this and he's like wait i'm not done yet i'm gonna do this all the way up to the base of his heart yeah that was kind of like overkill i don't think somebody grabbing my girlfriend like that would be enough to make me or any logical person hey i'm gonna murder this guy there had to be some other substance or some little grain that we don't know about that set him off yeah a negative entity that attached to him oh boy i was ready to write this off as this movie was a complete hoax but i don't know right now We're going to go up to the trial now. So the day after the killing, Lorraine Warren informed the Brookfield Police Department that Johnson was actually, in fact, possessed by a demon while committing this crime. A media blitz soon surrounded the story, kind of fueled in part by the Warrens because they were the ones saying, this is a demonic case that we haven't concluded yet. We thought we exercised this demon um, that was infesting David Glatzel, but it ended up jumping into somebody else. And they still had work to do. So they kind of fueled this fire. And we have this conversation so many times about them. Are they in it for the money? Or is it like a media storm for them trying to get people rich and famous? We don't know. We'll never know that. So the Warrens ended up talking about this in lectures and a book leading up to the trials. And this actually frequented all around the globe, this one trial. And it was known as the Demon Murder Trial from Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, So this brought a lot of -of out-of-towners, a lot of media storm to the town of Brookfield itself. I've been there before. Tiny little town. It's like Monroe, Connecticut. I can't imagine if this happened somewhere local today, like in Putnam or something. This place would be a freaking frenzy. Martin Manella was Johnson's lawyer, and he received calls from all over the world about this, and he was ready to travel to England to meet with two lawyers who had been involved in two similar cases, even though neither of those cases went to trial. It was two trials that, in fact, dealt with possession where one person ended up dying due to the possession um, and due to neglect. I'm not sure what the other one was, but it was something similar. So he was ready to go over there just to talk to him and be like, hey, how do I bring this to a court case? Because I feel like any judge is going to write this off immediately. So the trial itself took place in Connecticut Superior Court in Danbury, Connecticut. Ready for this one? And it began on October 28th. 1981, three days before Halloween. Manella attempt to submit a plea of not guilty by virtue of possession. But the preceding judge, Robert Callahan, promptly rejected this defense. Callahan argued that no such defense could ever exist in a court of law due to a lack of evidence and that it would be irrelevant and unscientific. That's a quote right there. Irrelevant and unscientific to allow related testimony. The defense chose to imply that Johnson acted in self-defense. Because of this, 
the jury was not legally allowed to consider demonic possession as a viable explanation for the killing. The jury deliberated for 15 hours over three days before convicting Johnson on November 24, 1981, of first-degree manslaughter. He was sentenced to 10 to 20 years in prison, though he only served five. 10 to 20 years in prison for first-degree manslaughter. First-degree manslaughter nowadays is like 50 to life. So the jury and the judge must have actually thought about the possession aspect because he was out in five years and he murdered a man right but it said that they like by law they couldn't take into fact that demonic possession was a cause for this but it must have been churning in their brains they must have been like man i don't know yeah it must have been in all of their brains because the jury is that that unit that says they're guilty or not guilty it's the judge that sentences the actual um like if they go to jail for 10 years they go to jail for life if i mean i guess it's a court of law so if there's like the death penalty and they found guilty they go to the death chamber but i think every single person in that courtroom after his defense lawyer said hey he is not guilty because of this possession i think they all thought about that a little bit even with the lack of evidence and i'm not saying that the judge was wrong he said that he needed scientific proof and evidence, which is how courts of law work. Could you imagine if he said, okay, we're going to take this under consideration, that demonic possession. He would lose his job like that. Everybody would be like, this judge said that demonic possession is real and there's a court case going on about it. Right. I think he said exactly what he said in order to... to Cover his own ass. Yeah, not even that. Just to keep his, like, his stature and his standing as a judge. Understandable, I guess. But the fact that... Johnson was out in five years after murdering a man in cold blood. Right, and I'm not sure why they let him out. I would think it was like, no, even good behavior, you don't get let out when you kill somebody. Your You're, sentence gets lessened. Like, but not by freaking 15 years. No. I mean, um, even if he served a 20-year sentence for murdering a man and you still go in society after that, that's... That's not a lot of time. No, you usually... If, if you're guilty, guilty, you're usually 50 to life. Exactly. And it's... We have to touch upon it right now because this court case was, in fact, the first court case ever that demonic possession was um they claimed that this was the defense that he killed somebody because of demonic possession it wasn't his own fault much like it's not the same thing though in amityville ronald defeo jr testified that he went crazy it wasn't the demonic factor to that he said he just heard voices in the house but he didn't plead a court case that he was guilty due to demonic possession but they talked about that. They did. And this happened, what, 1974, 1976, somewhere in that time. So it was a little bit before this. So that court case already happened. Um, so it's interesting that they even came back like a couple years later and said that demonic possession was the reason for this. Yeah, DeFeo was going for the insanity plea, mm -hmm. but he didn't get that at all. He was he died in jail, what, earlier this year? Yeah, I think so. Or last year, yeah. Or late last year. Yeah. So he was in jail since 74. Exactly. And that was 50 years. And then Arnie Johnson comes around and says this was because of a full-fledged demonic possession. So do you think that if Ed and Lorraine Warren didn't say anything that Johnson would still be in jail or he would be dead? I want to know if Ed and Lorraine didn't say anything, what he would have pleaded. I bet his lawyer would have said, we're going to do the insanity plea. Oh, I can't. Yeah, actually, and yeah, you're right. we'll get you into a psych hospital instead of a, um, a jail. Exactly. See, this is why I said this one's a little bit sticky. <laughs> it is so cool that... A paranormal event can go to court do you think that like all of the the equipment that paranormal investigators use do you think that that could be used as an evidence-based um portion of a trial 
I don't know. I think the at some point in history, people should think about using those types of thing in a court of law. I know it's it's like religion or it's like the type of science we don't understand yet. Um, supernatural type of things and ghosts and demons and but at some point I feel like we're gonna flip that switch and somebody's gonna discover some piece of evidence and gonna be like, Okay, we can use this in the court of law. The fact that every single person who goes to court has to place their hand on a Bible and swear to God. Mm-hmm. Like that's right. That then and there is paranormal. It is. Cause a lot of people like you can go, you can be atheist and you, they still make you do that. Yeah. Which is not, that is paranormal. And, and think about this. There's so much more evidence regarding spirits, ghosts than there is a God. Right. There's just a book written about him. Yeah. I put my hand over a copy of busty Asian beauties and <laughs> like, <laughs> I swear to tell the truth and then check this book out. It does seem if Arnie Johnson was telling the truth and this was a full-fledged demonic possession, that's so unfair to people like that. I also think it's really good that he was out in five years. But we don't know if he could have just been pissed off and killed the guy for no reason. True. But he didn't do it. I mean, he and his wife, Debbie. They ended up getting married, actually, after that five years. And they're still... Yeah, they're still married to this day. And they're still alive, too. Yep. So it's not like he went... You know, it's not like this This was a, or this, I'm sorry, this was an isolated event. It was, yep. And it's been 40 years. And Ed Warren specifically said, I read a quote from him today, and he said that Arnie Johnson learned to live with this demon. He said it never left his body, it's still with him, and he just deals with it in certain ways. Yeah, maybe what he experienced when he killed, yeah, his um, uh, landlord, I mean, maybe that made... The demon, like, hey, there was, he killed him. There was a soul right there. That demon got satisfied. Yeah. And I maybe keep saying demon, that negative spirit. I, I'm a hypocrite. <laughs> me. <laughs> maybe Arnie Johnson learned how to, like, put a cap on it. Right. And, and learned to deal. And maybe that negative spirit just was way more, um, you know, like, not sleepy, but it just, it wasn't as aggravated because this guy already did fucking kill a guy. You know what's scary to think about? Because you said it. Maybe that killing made the negative entity go dormant again and maybe it's just waiting for arnie to get super pissed off at another time where he can't keep the cap on it and then it's gonna happen again yeah and you can even go to the other side of that track and say that demon from hell needed a soul and it took bonnie or bonnie um bono bono yeah yeah jesus christ that's spooky to think about i don't like that at all or maybe johnson didn't want to give his soul so he killed bono to give to the demon And that's what kept the demon so mellow. But okay, the most important part of the story, because this drove me up a freaking wall, and they didn't touch upon, well, they touched upon it in the movie, but this was a whole different aspect um, that they threw into the movie um, for a probable cause why this whole thing happened. But why in the hell did David Glatzel, the 12-year-old boy, get possessed in the first place? I can't find it anywhere. I dug through so many articles online. I almost bought a book because I was so curious because this guy wrote a book about this whole um, event where he talks about it. But what do you think happened? Do you think the house that they were living in in Brookfield, Connecticut, something tragic happened there and a demonic entity was always living there? You think this kid played with a Ouija board every night or something? I do not know. And it drives me crazy. I believe the fact that it was the kid who got possessed and I know in every single scary movie you see, it's the little kid who is the one that can talk to spirits or is the one that gets possessed. But usually that's because they are the most open and the most vulnerable. So I definitely believe that this kid got possessed. Why? That's like the $15 question. You got to give me an answer for that. If you give me an answer, I'll buy you a beer at the bar when we leave here. 
Oh my god, I can't even, I can't think of a logical explanation. I don't think it was Ouija, because he was too young for that. That's why I, I will say I like what they did in the movie with the thing underneath the, um, the thing. Yeah, that yeah. was, that was very cool. That was unbelievable. I, I mean, I think it was, I'm going to just throw my two cents in. I think it was the house, whatever house they were in, or if they moved into this house in Brookfield, um, I think something happened there. Bad. It is a very old portion of land, that portion of Connecticut, because that's sort of part of the Hudson Valley. Um, that was, I mean, that was 1600s. Yeah. So 500 years ago, almost. I don't know, dude. I can't, I think your explanation is the most logical, but it's so strange that that spirit could just leave that land or leave that house when Arnie left. Right. Well, then you got to think, cause he said, come into my body. I can fight you. And that demon must've just been like, okay, you're mine now. So I'm coming with you everywhere. But why would that demon... Actually, the answer just flew into my head as I was asking this question. Um, I was going to ask why you thought the demon left a, a vulnerable David into a, he was what, twenty in his 20s? Uh, he was 19. He was 19, so an adolescent, so pretty much an adult. Yep. Why would that demon go into an adult? Was it because he, he saw him as a threat, a challenge, or did he see him as he could use him more efficiently than David? It's been known, and they've said it in the um, Catholic Church, that demons can... Not that I believe in him. You don't, but they can predict the future. Maybe he knew that if he came into Arnie, he was going to get that soul because he knew that Arnie would commit murder. And that David wouldn't? Yeah, maybe. Maybe he just knew that. And it also scares the absolute shit out of me that a 12-year-old boy gave such a detailed explanation of what this thing looked like. And that scares me because it's not like, oh, this kid just made it up. He must have seen something. Yeah, when you were explaining it earlier, I was like, this is some super horrific, um, like, wolfman right. cross that has, like, the face of a, a dog, but also horns and hooves and sharp teeth. And I was like, this is a nightmare. Uh, hey, James Wan, put that in the movie, buddy. Come on. <laughs> I, I thought what he did was, oh, it was good. so fucking scary, though. Oh, you, yeah, you were scared of that? I thought that we're not going to, I mean, you, you've probably seen it from the trailer, but... Um, it was the part right in when they were in the kennel where Johnson is going to kill him. Oh, and the, remember, it, it was such a long wait too when the or the window turned red and it turned all black. Yes. It was such a long wait. I was like, when is it coming? Because it's usually bang, bang. Yep. But I was like, bang. And then you're like, oh my God. <laughs> so when it was grabbing Bonnie. Yep. Or I keep saying, is that her name? No, Debbie. Debbie, yeah. Why am I saying Bonnie? I got, you got Stan Atlantic on your mind. God. <laughs> smoke show too. Um, when it was grabbing Debbie. Yep. And then it turned a little bit and you saw it's like legs grow why do i not remember this oh it was so sketchy and then because his hair was long oh as that's the guy. right yeah. and then he flipped it back and it was like yellow eyes sharp teeth and it was over her yep that was what scared the shit out of me but that's what reminded me of what you said about david oh that's true yeah maybe that's where he got maybe threw him like together a little bit and did that but yeah no it makes me angry i gotta find there's a there's a whole book written about it because i'm gonna i might buy it um to see what they said caused this demonic possession to happen in the first place because that's where if you know that maybe this will give a little more credibility to like the story and i apologize to our listeners that i couldn't find it but that's a huge piece of evidence that i feel like they could have used even in the courtroom or something you know what's going to happen is we're going to solve this case like we uh solved the diatlov pass yes <laughs> bring it on baby oh uh, yeah like my head is starting to hurt from all this from <laughs> from the unknown but they did a good job in the movie they gave you some Great facts. And then they added a little, like what James Wan usually likes to do. He adds a little more zest to the story and it 
makes it like a nice wrapped up piece. Yeah, now that I know that this, like now that I know the background story behind it, it mm-hmm. sounds exactly like what he did with The Conjuring 2. Oh, yeah. Very hard facts plus the cinematics that people go to the movies for. Yeah, that's why I like him as a director. He knows what scares me as well. I thought it was a great film. I, I said, saw B plus, 8 out of 10. It scared the shit out of me it was really entertaining there yeah. were drama portions crime portions i think a lot of people would like that and me and you both agreed i think we all agreed when we we left the theater last night that it was only missing a couple demonic visuals like i gotta see that super scary thing on screen for a little while there was missing a couple of those if it would have had those in the movie that would have probably been my favorite conjuring movie out of the three it was very much like conjuring one very very similar only the only thing i'm going to say about that is this movie felt very fresh there was things in this movie that i enjoyed watching like the cinematography all the rooms were so unbelievably dark you were looking in the corners and stuff um it was so fresh in that opinion yeah i will say this this was the only movie both insidious and conjuring where i didn't hate a certain part oh yeah there's no part of it that i disliked yeah where i was like that is bullshit or that is like, why would you ever put that in? Or that's awful CGI or something. There was nothing bad with this movie. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It was very entertaining throughout the whole thing. It wasn't ridiculously scary, in my opinion. Some parts were super spooky. Um, nothing kept me up at night. But... Ooh, what about the corpses? Oh, the reanimated corpse? Yeah. Oh, boy. When, when Patrick Wilson was in his house and it was there, I was like, okay, now I'm getting scared. I was like, Jesus Christ. That was brutal. I think that's going to scare a lot of people. We're going to have to write like spoilers because we <laughs> we said at least two. <laughs> well, we didn't tell you when it is or what it is pretty much. That's true. But I mean, they can probably deduce that from where they are. Yeah, that's true. But you guys will still love it. I think if both me and Ryan liked it, if our sister and our buddy liked it, yep. it's got uh, almost a seven on seven out of 10 on IMDb, which is solid for a horror movie. This is a movie I'm going to like to watch at Halloween time every year. I'm really going to... I'm going to like to watch this one at Halloween more than I like Conjuring 2, I think, at I agree. time. Much like Annabelle Comes Home. That's a Halloween flick to me, Monday through Sunday. And that's why it's one of my... Becoming one of my favorite Annabelle movies, because it's so spooky in that aspect. There's so many different monsters and stuff. Because of... Oh, Annabelle Comes Home. I'm thinking of... Um, creation? Creation. That's the scariest... One of the scariest movies in the Conjuring universe of all time. That might be number one. <laughs> that is absolutely number one. The scarecrow oh no remember when the two girls are underneath the sheet and the woman with the bell comes and oh when the sheet lifts up and it grabs her head dude every time i watch it it doesn't get easier to watch that's what i oh i hate that so much or when they're under the staircase oh my god the girl and the yeah. demon's literally right there dude that's i uh, that like that's nightmare fuel yeah i want to know who directed that movie he should take over from here and just do all of them because that movie was scary as f- but yeah, so that's the true story of Arnie Johnson and the devil made me do it. Um, hope you guys all enjoyed this one. Give you guys a little bit of knowledge and a little backstory of what happened in the 1980s in Brookfield, Connecticut. Um, but other than that, uh, Ty, you want to take over with the merch? Well, firstly, if you guys are sick of Ed Lorraine and the Conjuring universe, be very happy because this was it. We did all three of them. We got nothing else for you. <laughs> we got nothing else. But yes, we have merch. It is in, like we said earlier this episode koozies are coming in tomorrow so hopefully again next or this coming weekend or the following weekend it's going to be in the 90s and you can put your frosty white claw in those koozies whilst you're wearing your tank top or crop top even for the guys like you do you do you hell yeah trent's gonna wear a crop top from us i bet yeah frat boy trent um if anybody tags us with their koozie and there's a Michelob ultra premium organic seltzer in that i'm reposting that 
all day. And we will also shout you out on the next episode. <laughs> That's my drink, man. That's my drink. So we'll get those out to you guys. Uh, hopefully everybody would like to purchase one. And I will say, if you're ever watching an exorcism, don't call out the demon. You have no idea what's going to happen to you.